0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
1: Twins get a win in the Grapefruit League. Things are winding down quickly in Florida for the Home 9. They'll return and open the season On Thursday at Target Field. And that weather doesn't look all that great for opening day. It's still early. Hopefully things turn and that chance of rain drops. And speaking of opening day, Matt Hudson will join us uh, from the Twins front office. And we'll have a preview of what's going to happen opening day. A lot of festivities starting with breakfast on the plaza. That is back. And uh, always a good time. Opening day. uh, A great day in sports, and, of course, you'll hear them all here on the Home of the Twins. Twins right back at it. Tomorrow they'll play Baltimore, and we'll be on the air at noon. And Corey and Danny brought it up uh, during the uh, broadcast today in the 8-2 win over the Rays that uh, Sonny Gray will get the start tomorrow. And there's there's been a little concern about Gray here during spring training because, you know, he's been... uh, Well, taking it easy so far. So he will get the ball tomorrow. And late in the game today, Corey and Danny talked about uh, the starting rotation. Uh, Beyond Joe Ryan getting the ball on opening day Thursday at Target Field, we don't have a good sense on what that starting rotation is going to look like. And once again, if I have a worry about this ball club going into this season, and I think it's a worry – that the Twins fans have generally shared for a long time, how is the pitching going to hold up uh, over the long haul this season? I think the everyday lineup, especially with, with Byron Buxton and Carlos Correa, uh, they, they've got a good look. One other concern coming out of the game today, the Alex Kirilov injury, he left the game. We we don't have any word on that at this moment, but we will continue to keep an eye on that and bring you any news uh, post-game on what we hear about the Kirilov injury. And then, of course, Corey and Danny will have a whole lot more on that tomorrow. Far, final spring training game on the radio on Monday, Twins and Red Sox. And then, of course, uh, they'll come north. Uh, workout on Wednesday ahead of the game on Thursday at Target Field. But we'll have much more on that a little bit later on in the hours. Some of the other sports headlines we're keeping an eye on today. A little bit of golf, Uh, of course, next week is Masters week, but there is a big tournament that wrapped up earlier in the day at Augusta National, and it was the third annual Augusta National Women's Amateur, and a 16-year-old from California won it, Anna Davis, finished at one under par. She was among 30 of the world's best amateur women's golfers, who, uh played on uh, what appeared to be a cool, comfortable day at to National. So a 16-year-old from California uh, shot a 69 today to win at one under par. And what tremendous poise on the back nine and then ultimately accepting the trophy. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine. You know, I, I, as a kid growing up, uh, playing golf, uh Winning a big event like that as a 16-year-old and having the poise and uh, the live television interview and the, the uh, trophy presentation, that, that, that is a lot. Carrie Clatt, our producer, is a big golfer. And I don't know, Carrie, if you saw any of that earlier in the day, but uh, it has quickly become one of my favorite golf events, the Women's Amateur at Augusta mm-hmm. National. And you can tell how thrilled... Uh, these young women are to be there to be able to play to National. And for the 16-year-old from California to win, and the way she played on the back nine, and then her being greeted by her family, her brother, and then some of her friends was really cool after the round.
2: Oh, I know. Can you imagine? I mean, it's just no, it's can't. so – I love it. I love it, too. Um, I think, I mean, anytime – you can see anything from Augusta. It's always great to watch it, but then – Yeah, to see these younger girls getting to experience that,
3: it's amazing. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, the drive, chip, and putt, and they've had kids uh, from all over the country and all over the world participating in that event for a while. But what a a great move. And this is a club that has been criticized. Uh, They didn't have any women members, and there's been some controversy around Augusta National. They've changed their policies. But what a great ad this is in the the television coverage and NBC. They had Mike Tarico there and a lot of their crew. They they really did a phenomenal job covering this event and you know featuring you know some great players that are going to go on to start them on the LPGA tour. So it was really neat. But a sixteen, year old I'm thinking to myself, when I was sixteen, how I would have handled that moment. <laughs> I would have been a mess. She did a phenomenal job. Very impressed by Anna Davis and what she did on a big stage and in a big moment on the back nine at Augusta National. That that was cool. That that was that was a great day. Speaking of golf, they're at the Valero Texas Open on the PGA Tour. Final tune up before the Masters. Next week will Tiger play. That is, you know, certainly been the big buzz. Scott Stallings, Dylan Fratelli. Uh, atop the leaderboard matt Kuchar led earlier in the day today but at the moment it's stallings at ten under par Fratelli one back uh Charles Howell the third JJ Spawn Matt Kuchar at eight under par Maverick McNeely uh Siwoo Kim all in a large group at seven under par and then Troy Merritt who played at Spring Lake Park in another big group at six under par. So the Valero Texas Open, uh, round number three there today. They'll wrap it up tomorrow. And some of those players uh, will head for a guzz to Georgia. Uh, the Final Four is in town. We're going to have a ton more on that. The championship game is set, South Carolina and UConn. Jonathan Lowe, a producer here at News Talk, K3OWCCO, uh, has been covering. And we're going to visit with Jonathan about not only the semifinal games last night, but uh, he's had a chance to do some interviews and bring back some sounds, so we'll share some of that uh, coming up with Jonathan and throughout the day. As I mentioned, Matt Hodson will join us end of the hour, and we'll give you a lay of the land for opening day for the Twins and some of the festivities around that. It's always a great day, opening day for the Twins, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll talk Wild later on in the program. They're on the road at Carolina. Sarah McClellan will join from the Star Tribune. Uh, the Wild got beat by the Penguins last time out in overtime. They were stay, still able to get a point in good shape. Uh, we'll go outdoors with Steve Carney uh, as we we get to open water season. And the countdown to the opener is underway. Uh, i got to find out if Steve Carney has made plans to go out to the Missouri River uh, we'll, we'll get into that uh with with Steve following the news and weather at 4 uh Stephen Clark from spaceflightnow.com will join us. Uh there is some news there. Um big fan of spaceflight always have been since I was a little kid. Read a lot of books, been to Kennedy Space Center. I'm a huge space geek. Uh so so we'll have Stephen Clark in at about 4:15 today to give us an update there. Uh, Jerry Zagoda covers the loons for the Star Tribune. Jerry will check in a little bit later today. Seattle's in town tonight at Allianz Field. So Jerry Zagoda and then our good buddy Cal Soderquist from the Timberwolves radio network. They got a big win over Denver last night on the road in spite of a huge game by Nikola Jokic. Uh, the Timberwolves get the W. They're in Houston on Sunday. Our coverage begins at 5.30, tip just after 6 o'clock. Uh, with alan horton i i I was going to give alan a call uh, and have him on the program today but uh sounds like alan may may be fighting it a little bit as far as his voice goes may have a cold going on uh so so cal's good enough to join us on the program today so we have a lot coming up here on news talk e3o wcco but uh final four in the spotlight coming up momentarily Jonathan Lowe has been covering. Henry Lake's been around the Final Four. I was in studio for Henry last night uh, following the semifinals and the Timberwolves game out in Denver. Uh, so so we'll get an update on that. Uh, the championship game is set for Sunday night. At Target Center, it'll be Pagebackers and the Yukon Huskies taking on the South Carolina Gamecocks. And we'll get into that more detail in a moment here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. What a great time of year in the world of sports. you got the baseball season coming up rapidly. The NHL season winding down. The NBA playoffs are coming up soon. Uh, A lot going on in golf. You had uh, the Augusta National Women's Amateur wrap-up today. You've got the Masters next week. The Final Four is in town for the women. The men are downriver in New Orleans with their national semifinals today. Wow, and uh, Jonathan Lowe has been a big part of our Final Four coverage, and by the way, ton of stuff online, WCCRadio.com, take advantage of the Odyssey app. Jonathan Lowe, it has been a while, how you doing my friend? Mr.
0: Thompson, how are you? Good sir.
1: Yeah, good, and and, and you have been out and about during the Final Four, and uh, we, we've got the championship game set for tomorrow night at Target Center, more on that in a moment, but... Give us a sense of what's happening around town because you've been a part of it.
0: It, There has been a buzz. Um, There's been uh, a lot of people that have been milling around, and I've seen people with all four uh, fan bases represented from Connecticut, South Carolina, Louisville, and Stanford. And so uh, just having that buzz of a major event being back in town after the last one was 3 years ago with the men's final 4 it's it, it it invigorates you it it really pulls you along you get pulled up in that tide of of fandom and uh hype and and excitement and uh, it's really cool
1: to see yeah and all, all of these final 4s men's women's the frozen 4 whether hockey or uh, women's hockey, or men's hockey, the Golden Gophers are going to be in Boston for the Frozen Four next week. It really is a convention. Uh, coaches, uh, former players, uh, current players come to town for this event, and that that really makes it great for the fans.
0: It does. Uh, just the the number of people that you see that are involved in the in the sport, and like you said, current and and past and. Seeing all those faces around, if you're, you know, like you and I, just sitting around on the couch on a given Saturday or Sunday just watching the players play or the commentators commentator, or the coaches coach, and then all of a sudden you're here in this environment and you see, oh, that's uh, so-and-so that used to coach here or that's uh, someone on, on ESPN or on uh, some of these other channels or that is a person that is playing right now just coming here for the event. Uh, I, I I was going to the second game. I, I We just got done with the press conferences last night uh, for the first game between Louisville and South Carolina, and uh, I was going back up with a few other people for the second game because it was already through the first quarter between UConn and Stanford, and I'm just waiting on the media elevator, and who's standing right there Chelsea Gray, you know, wow. WNBA player and and U.S. Olympian. And it's just, y- you don't get that a whole lot other than at these major events, especially major sporting events.
1: Yeah, and a great crowd at Target Center for the uh, semifinals. Paige is certainly an attraction. You had a chance to visit with Paige. We'll, we'll hear more about that a, a little bit later on. But give us a sense target center, the buzz in the building. I, I was able to catch most of both games while keeping an eye on the Timberwolves game because I was on for Henry Lake last night. But, uh, great crowd?
0: It was a really good, really good crowd. Uh, we It started off with people kind of milling in as it went along, but with Target Center is somewhere around an 18:5 capacity. I'd say at its, at its peak last night. I'd say it was around 165, 16 to 165 in the building. It was very packed. You had your sections of fans, so you had a section of South Carolina fans and a section of Louisville fans for the first game. The second game, you had a section of Stanford fans, and it seemed like, because of the connection with Paige Beckers to the area locally, you probably have had about half of that arena. Rooting for Connecticut, and so there was a decided advantage as far as rooting interest. But I think if if there wasn't the local tie to it, I think it would have been kind of even. They they do kind of try to even this out oh, sure. as far as the fan support goes. And uh, I was surprised, you know, the bands, you know, the, the frivolity with the bands out there. The bands were on the floor. Because the the floor doesn't go all the way out, doesn't go all the way out to the seating, but the bands were out on the floor and uh, they're hoping and hollering like always last night.
1: Yeah, and that that is a great part of it. Now, a little bit late last night on late night, I talked about the configuration and it's set up more like maybe a state tournament, boys and girls state tournament games have been played at at Target Center, where they they kind of clear the floor and they they let the bands and the cheerleaders in the media actually down on floor level but uh, beyond that there's there's really another no or there is no access to the floor for fans or there's there's no up close seating like you would see for instance in an NBA game
0: correct yes they they did clear that area like you would see with the floor seating for the wolves or for the links, they did clear that out. They did have media rows on either side of the court. They had the bands set up, and they had a little bit of media media area on the ends of the courts. But for the most part, yes, they they cleared that out, and where the seating comes down, the, the lower bowl comes down to the floor, that's where the fan access. Actually, no, I think actually they, they, they uh, had it a little bit further up. So the fan access was not – as great as you would normally have in a standard NBA or WNBA game.
1: But, and that's typical. You'll see yeah. that in New Orleans tonight as yes. well for the men's Final Four. That they, you're not going to have the fans down close or, or the, uh, the, the, the rich and famous sitting courtside. You, they, you just don't see that at Final Fours. So. Yes, and,
0: and yeah. I think part of that is so you can get the media coverage there because you know how big of an event it is. You know how many People from outside of that locality are going to coming into the town are going to be so you're trying to accommodate as much media as possible, as much press as possible, so you can get the event covered. Um, And to take out, you know, maybe a thousand seats or so, it's it's kind of worth it at this point to get the coverage.
1: Yeah, for sure. On to the games last night. it, It seemed to me. And Gino Oriyama said something post-game, and you got us that audio, and we ran it uh, on late night after midnight last night. But it it was really that that this semifinal game is hard because there's so much in front of you, it's like, you're at the Final Four, there's all the hubbub, then you've got to settle down and play the game. But oh, by the way, if you win this, you're playing for the championship and the ultimate goal. So Gino Ariyama's record bears that out. I, I think going into last night, 11-10 and 10 in national semifinals and a much better record in championship games. So it is a hard game. And Louisville and South Carolina got off to a slow start and then South Carolina showed how good they are.
0: Yeah, the, the South Carolina-Louisville game was interesting because Carolina got off to a, a hot start. They got off, I believe, to an 11-2 start. Right. And then by the end of the first quarter, Louisville had found a little something. It looked like their pick-and-roll game was working on South Carolina's man-to-man defense. And so in the second quarter, one player really got going. That was Emily Engsler for Louisville. Her energy really sparked a comeback for Louisville to get not just close to South Carolina, but even with them, and actually pull ahead a little bit. So her energy, her spark was a main catalyst. And because she plays not necessarily fearless, but close to that, she got into some foul trouble. And it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had she not had a couple of fouls that she got early to see how much that energy would have affected the rest of the game. By the time the third quarter came around, South Carolina got their wind again. They they hit a couple of threes early in the third quarter, and that was important because they had put up a few three-pointers in the first half and really didn't hit anything. And so for them to hit a couple of threes starting the third quarter, that got them the separation, and then Aaliyah Boston went to work, and, and they controlled the game from about midway through the third quarter on.
1: Yeah, and uh, dominant performance. And based on what we saw in the semifinals – South Carolina played very well, as you pointed out in the second half. The the second game, I, I felt like all night. And Jonathan, you were there that ultimately uh, both teams struggled to find their shot. Defending champ Stanford and UConn uh, just all night were, were were fighting their shots. Yeah, there
0: was a point early in the third quarter where where Paige Beckers. Found a little bit of rhythm. She found her spot. She hit a couple of shots. She had a great pass across uh, to, I believe it was AZ Fudd, and, and hit a three-pointer. Or, I'm sorry, I think it was Kristen Williams who hit a three-pointer. And Kristen Williams hit a couple three-pointers in that third quarter to help get them a little bit of separation. But you're right. Both teams were struggling with their shots, Stanford especially. Uh, until late in the game, they had shot one for, I believe it was 13. So it was 11%. Uh, they, they had a point where they were shooting 11% from three-point land, and they shoot a lot of threes. They, they find that in their rhythm. But I thought they should have gone inside, and there were a couple of other media people around talking with me. We thought they should have pounded the paint, especially when Aliyah Williams and uh, Olivia Nelson-Adota got their third fouls. you got to get those bigs out of the game. You, if you get those two bigs, especially out of the game, you're really not going to have much else of size inside for Connecticut. So they didn't get those bigs in foul trouble. Cameron Brink for Stanford did get in foul trouble and did eventually foul out of the game, and that was a turning point as well. So it was a defensive struggle, but again, Stanford, and Tara Vandiver talked about this after the game, talked about, during dead balls, during timeouts, they were trying to say move the ball from side to side, get it inside, get it into the, into the interior, but it's easier said than done. And so yeah. it, it, it's unfortunate for Stanford that they couldn't find more of an inside presence. And, and I thought Haley Jones, the, the star for Stanford, kind of faded away and didn't get involved in much, as, as much in the action from about midway through the third quarter on.
1: Yeah, and a a weird fourth quarter. UConn turns it over eight times, but goes 15 of 17 from the free throw line. They were clutch. Yeah, it was just... I mean, talk about how huge free throws loom. That 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 was the ball game. UConn made their free throws down the stretch, and they advanced to the title game. Quick break. We'll come back with more. We'll talk more about the women's final four. Uh, we've got some sound from Jonathan Law. Uh, we'll talk men's final four. Get a prediction or two. And those games coming up later today: uh, Kansas, Villanova, Duke, North Carolina, Downriver. In New Orleans, it's all on the way here at News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. Women's Final Four in town, day off today, title game tomorrow night. It'll be Yukon and South Carolina for the championship. Men's Final Four downriver in New Orleans, semifinals today, Villanova, Kansas, and then Duke, North Carolina for the first time ever in the Final Four. Could be Coach K's last game if it's not His last game will be the NCAA championship, and we'll we'll get into that in more detail. Jonathan Lowe's been covering the Final Four. He's been a busy man. Uh, Henry Lake's been out and about, and a ton of great coverage of the Final Four all week. Uh, The 50th anniversary of Title IX here on News Talk, e 3 WCC, And Jonathan, I know you're a big golf fan. You and I have spent many, many years in studio together on the weekends, watched a lot of golf together. I brought it up earlier in the show. Quick sidebar here. The Augusta National Women's Amateur has rapidly become, in three years, one of my favorite golf events of the year. I love that event. Uh, final round today and a 16-year-old Californian won it. it just just terrific anna davis it was great
0: and and i have not been able to watch any of this year's coverage of it but the ability for these young women and these these girls to play such a hallowed course is phenomenal even even if it's only for one round the the chance to play on that course and play amen corner and play oh yeah all, all, you know the 16th and all of those Holes that we have become so familiar with because of the Masters Tournament, it's it's a great opportunity for them to uh, to show themselves, show their wares, and show their talents in a way that they hadn't been able to do so or do before. You know, do until a couple of years ago. And this is the impact of this tournament. And I just really didn't pay attention to about this until this week. Uh, the now what is the old Ana Inspiration, the Dinah the first LPGA major of the year, which is the first major of the year because it precedes the Masters by a week. It has for uh, quite a few years. They're moving that tournament, and they're not just moving it. They're moving it out. This is the final year that that tournament is going to be at, uh, in, in uh, Rancho Mirage, California, at that course. They're moving it to Texas. And they're not just moving it in location. They're moving the date of that tournament. I don't know when they're going to play it next year, but they're moving it off of this weekend. And you'd have to think that a lot of that, no matter where they move the tournament to, a lot of the moving the timing of it has to be because of what's going on at Augusta. It has to be.
1: Yeah. It's just a terrific event. And 16-year-old Anna Davis, just great on the back nine, And just so poised, you know, in what would be intimidating for anybody of any age, but for a 16-year-old to accept the trophy. And Mike Tirico is there. And it's just uh, really, really cool. And NBC did a nice job covering the event. But uh, one of my favorite golf events uh, on the calendar in just its third year. Back to the women's Final Four. Uh, The championship game is set. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of attention on page backers and you've got some sound we'll get into in a moment, but, uh, kind of a scary moment. Looked like she may have been banged up in that second semifinal last night, Jonathan.
0: Yeah. She, uh, came off the floor in the fourth quarter, uh, hobbling a little bit and she stayed on the bench for a couple minutes, but did come back in. And, uh, we did have, uh, a sound bite from her talking about, that injury from last night and just her mentality on it i don't know if carrie has that ready to go uh let's listen to what she had to say
3: as soon as i come off the floor i'm looking away to get back in um but some things like you just get banged up really quick it's more of uh, like a in the paint or in the moment type of pain and you can just shake it off in a little bit so i was just stretching and making sure i get back in the game as soon as possible and I'm gonna be ice bat ice bathing and making sure we're stretching and using all the recovery devices that we can to make sure that our bodies and minds are prepared for
0: tomorrow. It. And I did see last night after she did come off the floor, she went to the edge of the court and she did kind of those 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 ankle stretches where you put your foot sure. up on, on something that's higher uh, at the toe rather than the heel, and you kind of lean forward to kind of stretch out. It might be a calf. It might be – Uh, an ankle, something like that. She did that for uh, a short period of time before coming back in.
1: All right, you've got more sound from Paige, I understand.
0: Yeah, so uh, she did not win player of the year this year, and she missed a lot of games with her knee injury. And uh, Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina was the national player of the year. She's basically swept all of the awards. And so Paige and, and, and Boston will not be facing each other on the court man to man or woman to woman but going up against the national player of the year does have uh, some stake to it so Paige talked about that
3: yeah it's amazing just as a competitor you want to play against the best players and the best people Um, and me and Ali are really close off the court but I know that as competitors um, me and her and uh, South Carolina and us we're gonna it's the biggest game of, of the year and we're all trying to win the national championship
0: so part of that and and Being in the national championship game, they went through some pain last year that was not, you know, physical pain. It was the pain of losing, and so they lost last year in the semifinal round, and what Paige talked about was the lessons that they learned from losing in the national semifinals last year and how it helped them get past last night.
3: I just want to win every single time I step on the floor, every single game, so... Anytime you come up short, you try to learn as much from it and learn it or use it as lessons and just try to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Um, But definitely losing on the biggest stages, things the most. So just trying to watch film and do everything you can to make sure that you don't have that feeling again.
0: And lastly, for what we have right now, there are other cuts coming, and I'm trying to get those all set up for you. But uh, she, of course, being in the place where she grew up where she played high school ball there's a lot of pressure on her from a lot of sides because she's basically playing in her hometown and so there have there's been a a way for her to deal with that pressure and she talked about it
3: i kind of just relied on the people in my circle um my agency has done really well just helping me handle it and obviously my family and the people in my circle have done a really good job of just trying to Get the pressure off of me and sort of handle the things that I don't want to handle right now, and just making sure that there's no distractions in the way because I, I came here on a mission and our whole team came here to get a job done, so just making sure the people around me are helping me through it and coaching staff and my teammates are just sort of there to support me so
0: so that's uh, yeah. part of the the stuff that we got from Paige uh, and we'll we'll have some more stuff uh, if if hopefully you can get to that later in the show. I also talked a little bit to A.Z. Fudd, who is uh, the next number one recruit that came in under UConn's watch. And her and Beckers have had a friendship for a few years now, and she talked a little bit about uh, Paige's impact on her. And Plus, she does have ties here. Uh, A.Z. Fudd has ties to this area, fa- uh, familial ties, and she talked about uh, going to the state fair every year. So, Hello. So wow. she does have local ties as well.
1: All right. Well, that' great work, Jonathan. Always good to visit with you. We'll drop that in as we move through the day, and uh, I'm sure you'll be at the title game tomorrow night. Will that work out, or are you uh, working with Jerilyn?
0: I, I did request uh, the uh, tomorrow night off, so I will be over at the game, and All right. uh, also, uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get some sound from Lindsey Whalen. We are expecting to hear from her tomorrow on her selection to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So, uh, hopefully, I'll get some sound for that that we will share probably on Monday morning. But uh, uh, it, it's a lot of stuff comes at you fast when you're working an yeah, sure. event like this. So I'm just happy to stay in front of it ever so slightly.
1: All right, Jonathan Lowe, outstanding work. And he uh, mentioned Lindsey Whalen, first ballot, Smith basketball, Hall of Famer, Golden Gopher, women's coach, and a Minnesota sports legend. Quick break, we'll come back. We'll preview opening day. Mad Hudson from the Twins front office joins. We have all the news and weather at 4. We'll go outdoors with Steve Carney. Don't go anywhere. Here on News Talk, e Three O W wcco Twins win in the Grapefruit League, beating the Rays 8-2 to in Part 2. Uh, Port Charlotte today and quite a day for Nick Gordon. Uh, five RBI on three hits, including a home run and a triple. Scored two runs. Twins roll 8 2. Uh, they get uh, Baltimore tomorrow. And Sonny Gray, his first start of the spring tomorrow, will be on the air at high noon following the huddle with Mike Max and Pete Nigerian. They get started at 10, twins at noon against the Orioles. Final spring training radio on Monday, Twins and Red Sox. Then, of course, the Twins come north on Wednesday and get ready for opening day on Thursday. And speaking of opening day, uh, our good friend Matt Hodson from the Twins front office getting up to join us. And, Matt, here we are, opening day, coming up quick.
2: Can't wait. Thursday, April 7th, Target Field, Twins, Mariners. Nowhere I'd rather be than at the ballpark watching opening day.
1: And it starts bright and early with breakfast on the plaza. So many other great events leading up to uh, the first pitch of the ball game and, and opening day. Uh, there's nothing quite like it in sports, and I know everybody has, you know, the, their first game of the year. But opening day in baseball is a is a long, wonderful tradition, and there's there's a lot of build up to this one, and as there should be.
2: Yeah, it's a. you're right. Opening day in baseball, it's a tradition really unto itself. It's it's just such a magical day after, you know, the long winter, and, and it's a, it signifies spring and summer being right around the corner. It's the start of a new season. Everybody's zero and zero. And uh, for teams like us, the 2022 Minnesota Twins, a lot of really concrete reasons for optimism. I mean, you're going to see the, the debut of Carlos Correa at shortstop, of Byron Buxton back out in center. Joe Ryan taking the mound. Three of the many reasons why there is to be excited for a Twins fan. that we're going to have a really fun year this year at Target Field with hopefully a lot of wins.
1: All right, let's run down some of the festivities. Uh, we mentioned breakfast on the plaza; uh, the tradition continues.
2: Yeah, you know what? We are so excited to bring that back. I mean, it's our first opening day. Not I mean, not only is opening day itself just such a wonderful, wonderful day, but it's our first opening day. Without restriction since 2019. Uh, and that in itself is a cost of celebration. So we're bringing back breakfast, breakfast on the plaza from 6 to 9 a.m. You could drive, walk, uh, ride your bike down 7th Street, the, the street right by the Twins Clubhouse store there. And, and we'll give you some free food. We got hot dogs, we got peanuts, we got uh, coffee, uh, you name it, we've got it for you. May not be your traditional breakfast, but it's opening day. So start eat by eating a ballpark breakfast. And that goes from 6 to 9.
1: Yeah, and we'll have uh, some some live reports from breakfast on the plaza uh, during uh, the more the morning news with Venita. So we'll look forward to that on Thursday. This is another cool thing too: is the gates open for the first game of the year? Uh, so some Twins legends will be at those gates welcoming fans.
2: Yeah, you know this is a really it's important for us to welcome our fans home to Target Field. And what better way to do that than to have some of their favorite players, both past and present, to be the ones opening the Target Field gates for the new year and being the first person to say, hello, welcome to Target Field. So you'll have Kent Herbeck, of course, at Gate 14. Tony Oliva, before he goes into Cooperstown later this year, is opening his Gate 6. Um, uh, uh, Tom Kelly will do the honors at Gate 3 for Harmon Killebrew. Jim Cott, also going into the Hall of Fame later this year. He's going to open up gate 29 for Rod Carew. Uh, Kirby Puckett Jr. and Catherine will be opening up gate 34. And then uh, for our twin season, ticket holders coming in near gate, uh, uh, around the corner from gate 6 there. We're going to have some members of the 2022 team. So, again, just uh, what better way to start off the new year and to come back home to target field than by saying hello to uh, some of your favorite twins.
1: And a great incentive to get out to the ballpark opening weekend. Uh, A terrific giveaway to get it started. We're a little tight on time, but we want to mention uh, opening weekend jackets. Tell us a little bit more about that, Matt.
2: Yep. First 10,000 people through the gates on Thursday for opening day and then Saturday and Sunday against the Mariners all three days. First 10,000 people get a really cool Twins windbreaker jacket.
1: All right. Outstanding. Courtesy of Northland Ford Dealers uh matt always good to visit with you uh look forward to opening day and seeing you at the ballpark can't wait win twins all right there he is matt hudson uh from the twins front office always good enough to join us uh off season in season uh here on the weekends a news talk A 3 cco and he is the senior manager of business communications with the ball club once again Twins and Mariners starting it up on Thursday. Off day scheduled Friday. And then Saturday, Sunday, and Monday for that four-gamer to start the season. Once again, Twins win today, beat the Rays 8-2. to They get the Orioles tomorrow at noon. First look at Sonny Gray. Uh, Corey and Danny with all the action at noon tomorrow. But our sports coverage begins at 10 a.m. Don't forget about the huddle. Mike Max, Pete Najarian between 10 and noon. And then the Twins and uh, the Orioles. Uh, little news, we we touched on this. And Jonathan Lowe brought it up when we were talking uh, Final Four. Uh, Lindsey Whalen uh, is headed to the May- Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame as a member of the class of 2022. Whalen becomes the first go-for-women's basketball player and the second player overall to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame, joining Kevin McHale, who was inducted in 1999, Lindsay Whelan went on to a terrific WNBA career, winning all those titles uh, with the Minnesota Lynx. And one other note: former University of Minnesota Golden Gopher great Sweet Lou Hudson was posthumously inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame, announced today by the organization. So uh, great honor there uh, for the great Lou Hudson, and his banner hangs. In the barn as well. We got to run. We have all the news at four. We'll go outdoors with Steve Carney. And then uh, one of my favorite guests, Stephen Clark from Space Flight Now, will give us an update. What's going on with SpaceX? Uh, And Russians and the United States and the International Space Station. We'll get into all of that following the news and weather.